Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast, featuring Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne, discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Hey, welcome everyone to the UCSF uh, Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Uh, Drew is out of town enjoying the 4th of July weekend, so just be Brian and I today. And uh, one of the things that's on everyone's minds are NBA injuries, and as well as injuries to a lot of the all-starts that's taken place. We recently saw Giannis have a hyperextension injury to his knee. Uh, Kawhi suffered what some people thought was a partial ACL tear and just a whole plethora of injuries to some of our stars. So maybe we start out first, Brian, when you saw that um, slow motion replay of Giannis, what were your thoughts going in through your head and what potentially could have been injured in this hyperextension injury? Okay, so to be perfectly honest, I didn't see it live. I was maybe building a pond in the front yard to put fairy castles up. Um, don't ask. Um, but um, when I saw especially the um, slow motion clips and that and that um, one uh, still frame that they've shown a whole bunch of his knee being hyperextended and internally rotated, my assumption was that that was an ACL injury. Yeah, and I think that's what, you know, a lot of people, when you see that, you're like, that's what you're thinking. But then suddenly the reports come back, he had no structural damage. Now, I know you, you, you know, took care of some t professional teams in, in fellowship when you get that report back and let the media know there's no structural damage, what, the, what can that mean sometimes? From a... Yes. So I think, I, I think, first of all, I was never the one to talk to the media, thank God, because I think it's really complicated to give a complete amount of information and still protect some confidentiality for the player, uh, protect the team in terms of what they want to be giving out. Um, and also just kind of hedge your bets a little bit. But most of the time when you see these, what are likely either hyperextension injuries or partial ACL injuries, you strain a ligament, which means that the ligament doesn't actually tear, but we see structural changes on the MRI and in the sense that even though the fibers are there, there's increased signal or increased water content or some bleeding into the actual ligament. And then oftentimes we'll see a bone bruise. And the bone bruise is something that's come up a lot in, uh, in reading ESPN and some of the other uh, media channels over the over the NBA playoff. And I think a bone bruise sounds not so bad. It sounds like a bone bruise where somebody hits you in the arm, you get a bruise and go, I got a Charlie horse and I can play. But the reality is a bone bruise is probably not the best term. And so we see increased fluid or increased edema, probably because there's small microstructural damage, meaning tiny fractures within that bone due to the, due to the level of impact of injury. So it's going to be something that causes swelling in the knee, causes pain, and is going to be difficult to play through, especially if you're playing at a high level of activity. Yeah, I agree. I think when people hear this conception of bone bruise, they're like, oh, you know, I just, I can play through it. And, and, and that's exactly right. I really do see it as kind of a microscopic fracture of the bone. And I think a lot of these return to play for these athletes who don't have ligament strains is really based on how much the bone bruise bothers them and what's the risk of, of future injury. And that's the thing that I was really surprised. I, you know, I heard reports that Giannis was actually already doing some, you know, on-court work. So he may have been one of those lucky few that, you know, did have this hyperextension injury and what part of the knee joint actually was impacted may not be weight-bearing and more of a pain generator. So um, definitely something to look, look, look towards. And one of the other things we, we heard about was obviously Kawhi sitting out. And we talked about a little bit about a partial ACL tear. When I think about a partial ACL, it's really about the clinical exam because a lot of us will get MRI reports to say partial ACL tear. But 
at least what I like to look for is whether they're unstable or not, um, less so than what the MRI shows. Is that kind of what you do with your partial ACL tears as well too, Brian? Yeah, I think where we see a lot of these partial ACLs is in skiers. Um, and I think that's probably your knee was about to have an ACL injury. And then that's when your bindings released. Um, you come in and it's a, it sounds exa almost exactly the same as what these professional basketball players are having. They will have um, pain with um, a abrupt mechanism swelling. Um, but then on exam, they're usually pretty stable. And I think one of the interesting things about partial ACL tears is we don't really have a natural history for these for these types of injuries. So we know when you have a complete ACL tear, there's 200,000 ACL surgeries done annually. We know what happens operatively. We know what happens non-operatively. We don't know how many people are out there with partial ACL tears where their knee was quote unquote tweaked and they took a couple of weeks off. So I don't think we have a good answer to what happens if Giannis goes back and plays this year, or he has a partial ACL tear, Kawhi has a partial ACL tear and goes back and plays next year. Are they at increased risk? You can kind of assume yes, but without any scientific data, I don't think there's any proof necessarily that we can tell them, well, you're at X risk if you continue to play. What do you tell your kids with partial ACL tears or your patients? Hopefully your kids don't have partial ACL tears yet. <laughs> yeah, no, um, absolutely. No, I think uh, kind of very similar. I, I base it a lot on the clinical exam. Um, I do think a little bit more in my younger population because they are getting back to really active activity, um, their risk may be a little bit higher. Um, and I have seen um, some kids who've actually had partial ACL tears. We say, look, you're going to rest for four to six weeks, get an ACL brace, um, and try to get back to playing. And then they subsequently will actually have that injury, and some won't. Um, so I definitely think it's a lot of it has to do with the activity level and the fact that I'll, I may tell a kid four to six weeks, and you actually feel pretty good a week or two after this for a lot of these kids. So even though they're supposed to take the time off, they go back and they injure or injure their knees. So, and you know, the kids that I've, that I've ended up operating on who have partial ACL tears or unstable exam, it is interesting how the MRI will make it seem like the ligament is actually intact, but then you go in there and these younger kids and actually most of the ligament is actually torn. So, um, and it usually correlates with their exam. They're pretty unstable. So I think it's probably a little bit more operative in the younger age group, but I agree. I think a lot of that has to do with activity level, um, as well, as well too. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, um, when you read these reports in the media, they'll talk a lot about what the MRI shows, but you never hear like, well, his exam was totally stable. He had a negative pivot. He had a 1A Lockman. Instead, you hear just about the MRI reports, and that's probably good, but I think it underrepresents how important the physical exam is. And, you know, every now and again, you'll get like so-and-so still has a swollen knee, therefore they're not playing or their hand was, you know, stupid too sore to play. But the fact that most of the time when you're reading for these high level athletes, what the MRI report is, and that's making the deciding decision, it really isn't. You have outstanding athletic trainers watching these players every single day um, and basing it on how they feel, how they look and what their exam is like, less so on the MRI, but it comes off as well. The MRI shows a grade one strength. So. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting when you see like x-rays were negative awaiting MRI that will know. And I'm like, most of these, most of the athletes will, I mean, the athletic, whether it be the athletic trainers, or the team physicians, they can tell based on the exam, what's, what's probably happening at the time the injury happens. And the MRI is really just to say, you know, how bad's the injury, what other damage may there be there uh, as yeah. well too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in the playoffs this year, it seems like there are a lot more injuries. And part of the reason we wanted to have this podcast was I wanted to ask you the question, do you think that we're seeing more injuries? And if so, is that because we're playing more games in a shorter period of time? 
or is it that more famous athletes are getting injured? And is that because randomness or because there's something different about the schedule? And I think that's particularly important because at the end of the season, we have the Tokyo Olympics where a lot of the athletes are now going to go off and play in a, yet another tournament. That's a great question. I think that's kind of been the narrative, particularly, you know, it started early on in the season when, you know, Spencer did witty. And I remember there was someone else, I think for the wizards who tore his ACL. So there was, Oh, are we going to see this trend like the NFL where there was a ton, ton of injuries at the beginning and then it kind of tapered off. I think the one thing we, we know for sure, we've definitely seen a lot more all-stars um, get injured this year, a lot of the high usage players. So I think that's opened up the conversation of what's happening with these injuries. And I think, you know, the condensed season, um, a lot of back-to-back games. And I think that's where you see a lot of the injuries back to back a lot of travel um, is placing these athletes at risk and we're seeing that the higher usage players who play big minutes get get more injured Um, it'll be interesting to see the data at the end of the season to say look was that actually a combination of both traumatic and non-traumatic injuries because I think if you're seeing a lot more soft tissue injuries you know Achilles strains hamstrings then we could say, look, this probably is a condensed season, but it's hard to say that for traumatic injuries. You know, if someone runs into your leg, um, is that because they're back-to-back games? Or you could also make the argument that if you're not fatigued, when someone runs into your leg, are your muscles going to fire and protect you? So I think it's a little bit more uh, complex than that, but I definitely think the all-stars who've been impacted has definitely been very, um, you know, very, very open and seen in the media, uh, particularly with, you know, people like, you know, basically series being determined by injuries to players. Yeah, I think one of the things that comes up over and over is that these high-level athletes that play a little bit extra over and over, um, that difference between 36 minutes versus 25 minutes over the course of a season adds up. And if you figure they may be getting a few more reps in practice as well, although that's honestly just pure speculation, I think it may may make a difference. And I think um, one of the things I think is really interesting to think about is whether or not this fatigue actually leads to an increased risk of injury. And I heard one argument that, well, we're just playing differently now. And that um, the way we play, it's a little bit more competitive. It's a little bit more intense. And it's hard to quantify that. Um, And I remember watching basketball in the 80s. And I think if you remember watching, it was pretty darn intense. Like if you went up for a layup, you were going to be taken down, especially in the playoffs. Um, There's a Rex Chapman on his Twitter um, um, screen. Uh, His opening thing is like two minutes of just ridiculous fouls in the 1980s. And that's honestly what I remember. So I'm not sure if it's more competitive, but I do think that feeling of like having to play at a level of intensity throughout the game, especially for the star athletes is really important. Um, One of the things, um, you know, I was interested in is whether or not there is something to do with this like idea of fatigue and load management and whether or not that does increase injury risk. And these are two studies that came out that I thought were really interesting. And the one on the right by Dr. Augustin just has a really nice image of what it looks like when you internally rotate the leg. And we know that when you're jumping and landing over and over and over, you start to get fatigued, which is kind of kind of goes without um, question. But the study by David um, and his colleagues up in Montreal looked at a small sample of patients. They looked at 19 female athletes and they did what I thought was a really nice study. They basically said, well, if we're testing your landing, you're probably going to be pretty good because we brought you to the gate lab and we're going to tell you how well can you land. So we're going to give you cognitive tasks while you're trying to land. And that's exactly what it's like. If you imagine you're trying to get a rebound, you're already thinking, well, there's three people around me. There's probably somebody going for a fast break. What am I going to do next with the ball? And if you're seven foot one, you're probably going to get the ball. 
And what they found with this was that combining that cognitive task with muscle fatigue alters how you land with these jump landing tasks and may put these people at increased risk of an ACL rupture. So if you extrapolate that to playing a lot of basketball games, they're probably a little bit more tired. Their landing mechanics are just a little bit worse. And then if you add in that level of intensity, that may be enough to just say, well, that is tipping these players slightly over the edge to um, end up having an increased risk of ACL tears. All that being said, that's hard to quantify, like the level of intensity of a game. It's already pretty intense, so it's hard to see. Yeah, I agree. I think the it's, and that's the key thing, is that the line for a lot of these athletes, they're just pushing, you know, that fine line between fatigue in elite performance all the time. And it's, it's very similar to, you know, that elite distance runner who's running 170, you know, miles every couple of weeks is that they're trying to push it to the point where they get maximal benefit, but a, a little bit over that edge. And then they're getting the stress fractures and the injury. So I think it's a, the similar with a lot of these NBA players. It's in order for someone who's seven foot one to do what a Giannis or a Joel Embiid does, they have to train a certain way, but they are placing their body at risk, uh, you know, kind of straddling that line between fatigue and performance. So I definitely agree. Now, Brian, if, uh, if Adam you, Silver came up to you and said, you know, Brian, what, what, can, what can we do to decrease injuries next year in the NBA? If we do see, um, you know, an increased number, what, what were the things you'd, you'd potentially tell them? Um, I, I would say welcome to the house. I hope you enjoy the dinosaur outside the house. <laughs> um, realistically, I'd say fewer games. Um, I think that when you look at how what the trend is and for a variety of different sports with the exception of football which is extremely high risk at baseline um, fewer games more time off in between i think having that mid-season break for the all-star tournament that is a full week to 10 days is totally legit you can do a variety of other things it's okay basketball won't lose its momentum especially if it's around the trade deadline um, you're not going to lose people loving basketball by taking a little bit more time. And I think there's always that fear that, gosh, if there's not enough games, people aren't going to watch. But football's borne that out. You have one game a week and everybody is just as excited. Um, the number of games is always controversial, especially when you look at lengthier playoff series. Um, if I had a perfect NBA um, uh, you know, my ability to shape the NBA season, it would be somewhere around 60 games. And the first two rounds of the playoffs would be best of three and best of five. Um, you all, you know, I think it adds excitement rather than saying, well, we're going to have a best of seven where one team's up three, one. I don't think I ever watched that game. But especially when you think about the stars that play year in and year out, um, being in the playoffs to the third round adds a whole nother season to their um to their bodies. And one of the things I think we think about when we talk about youth athletes is that idea of an athletic exposure. And the reason oftentimes why kids are so at risk for developing re these recurrent injuries is that athletic exposure. If I say I'm playing, I'm a basketball player, I maybe play basketball twice a week. And that's maybe one tenth the amount of time or the number of exposures that you have when you're a kid. So if you extrapolate that to adults who are going to fatigue a little bit more, we need to give them breaks. We need to give them time not to play so their bodies recover. And it seems kind of a no-brainer, but then when you throw the money and the contracts and all that in, you have to remember they're also going to be practicing and training on their off days. So giving them that, that break from that intensity and that high-level exposure is really important. And one thing I, you know, I think is interesting about basketball is the injuries that we see in football are often in practice. 
but in basketball, they're almost never in practice. It's really uncommon. Clay Thompson's Achilles, notwithstanding, I know, I know your head's going to explode a little bit, but realistically, um, basketball tends to be a a performance based injury rather than a um, practice based injury, which is often the case in football and hot tub and random injuries in baseball where baseball players seem to be walking in and out of a hot tub and end up injuring themselves more than anything else. So what would you do with a perfect basketball season? I agree. I agree with number one, less games. I think it's the intensity with which it, you know, the NBA players are playing now compared to the eighties and nineties where it was more physical, but not as much exertion on the body. I think it definitely means less games. It, I think also I agree for you from a money standpoint, if you have less games and more people are willing to watch as opposed to that random, you know, Thursday night game when Orlando is playing Memphis on TNT. I mean, no one, no one wants to watch that game. So I think um, somebody does (laughs) somebody for all our Orlando and Memphis podcast listeners. Um, But I also think travel is key. I know we had Baxter, uh, Baxter Holmes and Sherry Ma and and travel and sleep, I think play a large impact as well too. So for, you know, having teams fly across the country, particularly for the war, you know, teams like the Warriors, the Lakers that are here on the West coast and have to make long trips. I think if you can decrease the travel down, that's great as well too. But I agree more rest, bigger break in the middle of the season um, would be key in less games. So I think those are, those are really the important factors. Um, And it is interesting, like you bring up, I never thought about it that way that, you know, a lot of the NBA injuries are occurring in games. Um, and football, yeah, it is. It's a lot of practice. So um, I think that, uh, you know, what we can do to decrease that exposure during games, which would be decreasing the number of games, I think would be would be key, uh, particularly for these these type of athletes. Um, yeah. And you did mention the youth athletes as well, too. I think it's the same thing. I think the NBA is a great, you know, kind of reminder to kids as well, too, is that, you know, where you're going to get injured is when you're playing these games. So it's important to take that rest and to make sure your body's recovered. Um, so you don't get that. So I think a lot of the lessons, you know, we learned from the NBA this year uh, with all the injuries, whether the number bear, numbers bear out or not, statistically will be, will be good to kind of talk with our youth athletes that look, when you're fatigued, you're playing a lot of games, you have minimal rest. This is what's going to happen to you. Yeah. I mean, from a muscle standpoint, because a lot of this we look at when we look at landing mechanics is how is the muscle recovering? And we know if you don't give the muscle enough time to recover, you're going to develop subtle, but consistent, um, um, amounts of fibrosis or scar tissue within the muscle. And if you think about it over the course of months and months and months, that subtle amount of remodeling that you're not able to essentially lay down normal muscle or build muscle. And instead you're laying down scar tissue, even though it's tiny, it's not something that you're going to look down and say, gosh, my muscles full of scar tissue. It's probably enough to change those mechanics just enough, make your muscle a little bit more stiff and put more force on the joints rather than through the muscle, which is what's going to be protective. Awesome. Yeah. No, tons of, tons of ways you could potentially address this, uh, you know, helping to decrease injury risk. So once again, everyone, hopefully everyone uh, enjoyed our latest podcast about the NBA and injury risk. Uh, we have the NBA finals coming up. So I'm sure we'll have more topics to discuss as well too. And uh, once again, thanks for joining our podcast. Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Mira Bundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.